Hey everyone, welcome to Biased, an Arizona basketball podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Garrett, with a special guest here, Jonathan Page, my brother, and also Ed Bardo sitting here, a little bit separated from the guys, but a lot closer than I've been. Today we have quite a bit to talk about as quite a bit has transpired in the last uh, week. Uh, everything from the Pac-12 tournament coming to conclusion to the immediate day afterwards having Selection Sunday with the brackets announced both for the men's and women's tournaments. So lots to talk about. So Ricky, let's take it away. So let's talk about the UCLA-Arizona Pac-12 championship game. Uh, Arizona won 61-59. to uh, It was Close all the way throughout. UCLA built up that nine-point lead in, in the second half. But uh, other than that, it was kind of a, a battle of blows. And this is kind of what we expected. It was a, a really good game, really defensive game. Um, you know, that's how our games have been with UCLA. If you remember back in McHale, you know, it was very low scoring in the 50s. And then now we've got a 61 to 59. And Arizona is used to scoring in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but it's, again, nice to see Arizona win a game like this when it's 61 to 59. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk about that, about uh, the fact that Arizona switches back and forth between per two personalities, being able to win the defensive game uh, versus being able to win the high scoring offensive game where Arizona likes that up-tempo game. It was very interesting. To, I would say, wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree about how similar the statistics were? Think about this. When we get down to talking about field goal percent, field goal percentage, we actually have to break it down to the tenths because it's thirty six point five versus thirty six point seven percent in field goal percentage. Both low numbers, which shows how defensive this game was. Both took almost the same number of shot field goal shots. So Arizona took fifty two, whereas UCLA took sixty. But my God, have you ever? That is really, really close. I mean. Those numbers are amazingly close, but it's not the only numbers that are close. Free throw percentage was with 68 to 69%. Uh, assists weren't that different. Uh, turnovers a little bit higher for Arizona, but this, like you said, amazingly close game. Yeah, these two teams are very evenly matched, and you know it, it's awesome. It's great for the Pac-12, and it, I think it was great for the country to watch that game. Um, you know, that, those are the two teams you wanted in the Pac-12 final, right? Yeah, I think that's an instant classic in terms of uh, Pac-12 championship games, you know, because you never it, it came down to a last shot in the last minute to help define how the, who was going to win the thing. And it could it seemed like it was going to go the other way a short while earlier. So I think uh, the, if the, if people stayed up late enough to watch, they got uh, they got treated to a nice surprise in the Pac-12 championship game. So question for Johnny and then I'll ask you too, Ed, uh, was that a foul on Amari Bailey doing that dunk on Pella Larson? Yes, because the referee called a foul. <laughs> That's the easy answer. Tommy Lloyd would say that the official called a foul. It's a foul. Yes, and so was it a foul? And by a definition of a foul, probably not. By looking at the replay, there was nothing there that you would say was uh, would, would constitute the definition of offensive foul. But in terms of the fact that it was a foul, it was a foul. You play on. One of the things that I like to say in games is those, those moments don't, don't make or break the game. The game is a, has a flow that's defined by the current state of things. So regardless of the fact that they may have lost two points on that, and it changed things a little bit, and it may have given them a bit of momentum and stuff, Arizona and the whole outcome of the game would have still moved based on wherever it was at that particular time. So that doesn't mean that they would have gotten two more points at the end. And right. so 
that controversy is way overblown over that. And I, 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 if it's on our side too, I said the same thing. Like Balo not making the last free throw that he uh, at the end of the uh, the ASU game in McHale wasn't the thing that defined that game. It's all the things that happened that flow in the ebb and flow of the game that you just don't pick that one moment. It's we got to that situation where uh, the, where where your a last second shot makes a difference, and that's that. So this. There's just all of the, too much focus on that. And I think Mick saying that and just pointing that out in the press conference just shows what his attitude is like. Yeah. And like I said earlier, UCLA was still able to build a nine point lead in the second half. So, you know, yes, they were missing two of their guys. Jalen Clark was out. And then also Adem Bona wasn't playing. Uh, and then they had two guys in foul trouble, but they still were able to build that nine point lead. So it's not like the two point dunk attempt that was taken away really mattered that much to them. Um, you know, I'm more concerned as to why they let that two point or nine point lead get away from them. Because uh, it seemed like they had control of the game. There were several times where we were all talking to each other saying this game might be over because it didn't look like Arizona was going to put up a fight. And then they did. Yeah. And I think the funny thing about uh, the way the, the way UCLA played and stuff is they had they had two of the key players that made a difference, the biggest impact in the tournament. That's Jaime Akez and Tiger Campbell. Those two guys made the difference. What it was, Oregon was defined by uh, Tiger Campbell's career, 28 points. Uh, you know, they just roll with those two guys. And those two, they t- and the two played well. It, it was just, the game was just evenly matched. And, and the emotion on both sides really drove things. At the beginning, things really started out slow, but then they started to pick up and both sides were playing very evenly. This game, to me, was much more reminiscent of the game in McHale Center. The same low percentages, the same back-and-forth feeling. In McHale, though, it seemed like Arizona, because of the home court, Arizona had a bit more of an advantage and spent much more of the time ahead in that game. Yeah, and what is similar, though, about those two games is that David Singleton was a non-factor, right? He's one of their seniors. He played well in Pauley, you know, his senior night, and he was jazzed about playing Arizona again at home. Um, But... This game in Vegas, David Singleton had zero points, zero for three from the field, and 0 for one from three-point land. He did literally nothing. He did not step up. And foul trouble became a real issue for UCLA. So you could see how that, how uh, Bona being out impacted that because they ran out of guys, tall guys, pretty quick. But the thing that was interesting is you could tell the difference between this game and the previous game. For example, in the previous game, we were complaining about the fact that Abala wasn't stepping up when uh, when a guard would come off the screen like Tiger or somebody. And there's a there's a lot of gaps for them to shoot. This time they played a lot tighter and uh, particularly on the perimeter. And uh, this time Singleton couldn't shoot the three as easily. And so UCLA went an astonishing four for 19. Not that they're an exceptionally good three-point shooting team, but they shot 21% from three and they took quite a few attempts at 19. So that's something that definitely stood out to me. I thought uh, Pella's defense on Jaime Hawkins was amazing, especially that one play where... Jaime got the ball and there was maybe 15 seconds left on the shot clock and Pella just put his hands up and moved, shuffled his feet. And, uh, and then finally with one second left, he hit the ball out of Jaime's hands out of bounds. Uh, that was such a nice defensive stand. And it was really awesome to see Pella step up like that. And Jaime struggles to score. Uh, in the, he struggled to score in the two, the two games that they lost uh, to Arizona because the defense was clearly just that more, uh, much more focused on him to prevent him from scoring. And Tiger had a bit more of a challenge, too. He didn't get that open shot now. You could see that, uh, for example, Balo stepped up. when any time they moved into that zone uh, towards between the top of the key and down in the uh, by the free throw line, there was somebody there stepping up and, and doing help. 
Right. And it's important to note too, that yes, um, Adem Bono was out and Jalen Clark is out. And then they had two guys that were in foul trouble, but Kirk Krista had a dislocated shoulder. And then we also had Umar Baldo that we didn't know this until after the game, but he was playing with a broken left hand and he broke it in against ASU the game before, because it was just a tough game. That ASU game was physical and uh, it, it just, it's tough. He said, he even said, it's tough having these guys bang on you all game long and it's just very physical. And then you got to get back up and do it again against UCLA. Um, but to play with a broken hand and still get 13 points on four of eight shooting five for nine from the free throw line and eight rebounds, we'll take it. That's, that's something else. One of the things, I mean, I read a lot of comments and listened to the uh, fans after the game and the typical type of gripes you see at post game on a, a lot of games is when uh, from the opponent, if they've lost, is the gripe about the officials, right? In this particular case, the UCLA fans were particularly offensive. They were looking for every means and method to not give any credit. I like, I, I noticed that a lot of Arizona fans, when uh, the game's done, if we've lost even against ASU, so our, our rival there, that a lot of Arizona fans will state, good game, you guys got deserve this one, we'll get you next time, something like that. But in the case of the UCLA game, it really got offensive quickly. And, and I think one of the signs of just how uh, how the feeling was is when the incident that uh, came up related to McCronin's dad, how, how that thing blew out of proportion, how the fans seized on it quickly and just flooded Twitter with all these uh, comments without actually investigating to see what that was actually about. Well, and ironically, it's now Tuesday and we still don't have a clearer picture than we did on Saturday. So, you know, it did get blown out of proportion and people jumped to conclusions without waiting for the facts. And here it is Tuesday. And we, we don't have any more truth about it or, or, you know, any more information. It's just that's kind of what it is. And so the, I, the, my, my thinking is, that, folks, this is a, this is sportsmanship that we're trying to teach the kids who are playing the game. OK, and the coaches, one of the things that coaches are supposed to be doing is developing players as people as well as players. And part of the idea here is that we call fouls on players who who uh, and technical fouls when players don't show sportsmanship because it's supposed to be about the game. It's supposed to be the excitement of sport and, and, and win, or, win or lose. It's it's there's it's, it's part of the game and so forth. And when folks take this so personally and take it to violent extremes that way it's 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 amazing that they're missing the whole point of what uh, amateur sports or sports in general should be about right johnny what'd you think of mick cronin just speeding through the handshake line without even really acknowledging anyone yeah i mean mick cares a lot it's his job and he does it 100 percent. so he wouldn't one happy and uh he can be respectful but he wasn't happy so i'm okay with him moving on quickly and and then he step he basically steps out of his press conference as soon as he hears about the, hears about the incident. His uh, Mick has, so every coach cares about their game. No one's exception. No, there's, there shouldn't be an exception to that. It's just he uh, he's not the guy like even Bobby Hurley's very intense on the court, but when he's in his press conference, he's amazingly lucid, competent, and complimentary. Uh, Mick is not that way. He has never been that way. He is a he's some he's something else. It's good for UCLA. <laughs> yeah. Not going to win the media conference, but uh, the handshake line, he's got no obligation to spend no. some time talking to Tommy. 
No, it's just a it's a piece of uh, it's a piece of again sportsmanship. It has nothing to do with whether or not he has an obligation. Nobody has an obligation to do all the things that they do. What they do is that this is about sportsmanship. He's supposed to be a model for his players about how it, in a loss, regardless, it's the way the game rolls. He should he needs to be a model of good sportsmanship. He's the leader. Well, I think we can throw the model out the window the way that coaches scream at refs. Like if they're going to be a model, like we got to fix that first. Well, I think that that's uh, the way that, uh, well, yeah, they, they say pretty strong words and so forth, but it, it, that, that, has to be the, that has to be the standard we hold up to. The second you let that slip because you point out things like that, that's just not uh, it. When the game is over, the game is over. It's decided. They're not going to go back and change it. Him griping about whether or not that was an offensive foul is not going to change the end. Yeah, I'm not for the so take Ricky the, just asked about the handshake line, but the post game yeah. doesn't. But that that's it. symbolic of Mick, is I think why he's asking you. <laughs> he wouldn't be the first coach though to complain at the end of a Pac-12 game. No, no. about a call. And and they do they complain, but he uh, over two points. Name name one complimentary thing or positive thing he said at the end, and then compare uh, after Arizona lost to ASU, for example, what Tommy said. Right. One, I know it's easier to be nice and, and complimentary when you win, but Tommy Lloyd started his press conference saying UCLA is a really good team. And, you know, it's stating the obvious, but at least he said it, you know, and it's nice to hear. Or, or try this. Go back and replay after the UCLA game at Pauley, Tommy's press conference. and right. see the difference. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tommy knows he's, he's going to be in a dogfight with UCLA and, and he respects the program. And I hope Mick respects Arizona for what we've done. You know, it's a, a wonderful program. And Lou Olson obviously built it up. Sean Miller did a great job. Uh, now it's Tommy in, the, in charge. And uh, it's a great program that they've built. And, you know, I hope Mick respects that. Um, there's kind of this, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Yeah. But there's this high and mighty feeling that we're off to the Big Ten anyway. So forget you guys. Who cares? Yeah, but I, I wanted this pretty bad because the one of the things I wanted was a nice send-off since they're leaving and this won't be happening again. <laughs> I thought it was a great send-off. And the only reason I'm harping on this is that so you and I spend a lot of time looking at uh, people's comments and the responses and we get analyze the media post-game uh, just to get a feel for what the general sentiment is and try to accumulate that information and, and see what how folks are uh, responding to the way the game ended. Even when we lose, I spent a lot of time and I learned all the lingo that the ASU fans were calling that shot uh, at the end of the uh, ASU game at McHale. And so we spent a lot of time looking at uh, how the, the responses and how the fans on both sides are responding to it and how the media coverage in the local communities, uh, including the opponents local, uh, community is responding in this in the UCLA one was particularly uh, vicious. I was quite surprised. Yeah. Well, Arizona got the win, so that's all I care about. <laughs> um, just going over some stats to and, kind of put yeah, but UCLA won't be breaking that streak of how long they haven't won a Pac-12 uh, tournament championship. Right. Um, let's go ahead and go through some of the stats real quick. Pella Larson had 11 points. Obviously, Courtney Ramey had only three points, but they were the biggest three points of the game. Uh, Kylan Boswell had seven. Uh, Azul Stabellis had 19. Balo had 13. Uh, Krisa had six. And Henderson with two. And then for UCLA, you know, Andrews had eight. And I thought he played really well. Uh, Amari Bailey, he's going to be a, a stud for UCLA. 19 points. Uh, Tiger Campbell, 16 points. Jaime Hakez, 13 points. And then, obviously, David Singleton, zero. Um, so, and like you said, it was very close stat wise, you know, 37% for both sides, 
you know, 30% three-point field goals for us, 21 for UCLA. Um, again, Arizona shot that 20 uh, three-point field goal attempt, Mark, uh, and I really liked that number. I think that, you know, 18, 19, 20 threes per game is perfect for them. Um, they're not jacking up a bunch of them, which is great. Uh, free throws still struggling, 17 to 25 there to UCLA's 11 for 16. That's 68% for us, 69 for UCLA. Uh, and then just going down the line here, the turnovers were pretty much even. The rebounds were pretty much even. Uh, second chance points kind of even there. Bench points, 18 to 10. Arizona got that. Um, you know, points in the paint, that's one that we look at quite often. And actually, UCLA won that one, 24 to 22. Uh, so it's a great matchup. It's two, you know, heavyweight teams. And we knew this is the kind of battle we were going to get into. This is what everybody wanted. And it turned out to live up to the hype. I'm glad for the last uh, Arizona UCLA final in a Pac-12 tournament that the, that the world got to see a one possession, you know, hard, hard, you know, hard contested fight for the championship. I'm glad it turned out to be that way and not one that was decided like five minutes before the ending. It was, it was worthy of having a close game like that. And so it was nice. I mean, I would have felt that way, even if we had lost, it was just, just amazing to be on the winning side of that as an Arizona fan. Right. So now let's switch gears and tune to uh, selection Sunday. The brackets came out and uh, before you start, let's just say, so the question was as a segue into that, Arizona just wins. Uh, Arizona had two losses in a short time towards the end of the season, but then Arizona goes in and wins three in a row at the PAC 12 tournament ends up winning the PAC 12 championship. How would that influence UCLA and Arizona going into selection Sunday? And with that segue, <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, I guess. I don't know. Cause UCLA got the West. They're the number two seed in the West uh, Arizona is the number two seed in the South. And I never thought Arizona would be in the South. I was thinking Midwest. No one did. Uh, did. Did did any major bracketologist have Arizona in the South? I didn't not know. that I saw. It was not that I West. saw either. Yeah, it was either Midwest or West. Yeah. Um, if we did well, it was West. If we uh, we were relegated a bit, we got moved into the Midwest. And so the going ending up in the South was quite a surprise. Yep. But like I said, it was a, a blessing in disguise because the West is fully loaded. <laughs> the West has Kansas, Arkansas, St. Mary's, UConn, TCU, Gonzaga, UCLA. I mean, that's just a stacked, stacked region. That is going to be a tough one to get out of. And uh, UCLA has got its uh, work cut out for it. Um, it. It's going to be amazing to see how that one plays out. But it's going to be very fun for everybody. I think... One of the notable things about the West to, to note was that everybody was questioning how Kansas remained so bulletproof after taking two losses at the end of the season, including the loss at the end of the uh, Big 12 tournament. And uh, well, there was their punishment. Everybody was so sure everybody had Kansas in the Midwest playing in Kansas City. Nope. <laughs> you got right. shipped. Go West, young man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... I think that West region is actually very top heavy too. I think um, UCLA has it actually easier in the bottom portion of that bracket with Gonzaga, Grand Canyon, Northwestern, Boise State, obviously UCLA, and then UNC Asheville um, and TCU's in that, in that portion too. Um, I look to see Kansas and Arkansas move after their first round games. Um, Kansas versus Arkansas will be a great game. 
uh, if that happens. And then um, eventually maybe Kansas will play UConn. Uh, so there are some tough games. And then obviously the one we would look forward to in the West would be the UCLA-Gonzaga uh, rematch because obviously Gonzaga hit that buzzer beater a couple of years ago in the tournament uh, to send UCLA packing. And if, if UCLA or Gonzaga gets out of that one, depending on who, who wins that one, um, playing a Kansas game, uh, there's some really good opportunities for some good games in that region. And a lot of folks are going back and forth on UConn. I think UConn's got one of the scariest games for a first game play in Iona. I don't think that one's a, I think that one could be a real challenge for them. UConn, it'll just depend on if UConn's playing tournament ball and, and ready for that. Yeah, I'm not a huge Rick Pitino fan, but I feel like he gets his teams up to play. And I, he I, does. I think if he you does. underestimate him, you might be in trouble. That's it. And so you've got a lot of good matchups that can come out of that West region. And it's just, again, as you said, it's a little bit weird that uh, that uh, the teams that had end, kind of ended up out there. But, boy, what a tough bracket to make its way out of. Whoever comes out of that one's certainly going to be worthy of a Final Four bid. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going a, a different direction with the uh, the region. And I'm looking at a, a West Coast Conference Elite Eight. St. Mary's, Saint I think, Mary's. can get by UConn. And uh, get a rematch with Gonzaga um, and have a West Coast Conference Final Four representative. Uh, that would be very interesting. That would be very cool. I would actually, if St. Mary's made it in there, that would be a really neat kind of uh, switch up having West Coast. I'm just, after St. Mary's getting pummeled by Gonzaga in the uh, tournament, I'm not so, uh, they didn't, um, we'll see. We'll see how they play out. Yeah, it's hard I, to play. It's hard to play a conference team three times, and St. Mary's gave uh, Gonzaga their licks a few weeks earlier. So. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm, I'm thinking how crazy that is that Gonzaga could be a this scary team that's sitting there that finds its way moving forward, and it's it's one of the teams that shows just how tough the West is. Some folks, uh, some of the folk on ESPN, for example, had UConn going the distance as a four seed all the way down there in the West. So that just gives you an idea how loaded that conference is. Uh-huh. That whole area is that whole West is. Yeah, right. So now let's switch over to the South, where Arizona is the number two seed, Can or uh, Alabama, excuse me, is the number one. Uh, you've got some great teams in this region, too. Um, Maryland, West Virginia, San Diego State's there with College of Charleston. you got Virginia Furman, uh, Creighton, NC State. That's going to be a great game. Uh, Baylor, UCSB. Uh, and then we've got Missouri, Utah State, and then Arizona and Princeton. So any of these games stand out to you guys? I think uh, one that should be, uh, I've kind of been looking at these, and one of the things that stood out, of course, was I had completely forgotten that we had played Texas A&M Corpus Christi earlier in the year, and then they showed up in the, the play-in game and won today. So they're play, they'll be playing Alabama. Um, I, I think that th- what's interesting about the bracket in general, not a particular game, is just the number of teams that we've played in this this one. So I, I found that interesting. We had played Creighton previously. We played San Diego State. We played Texas A&M Corpus, Corpus Christi. So we played several of the teams in this the very bracket we're in. There's a lot of talk that Utah State. So Missouri got a tough matchup with Utah State. That Utah State could make some noise. Uh, early there. I'm interested to see that. And there's also seems to be a lot of buzz about Creighton, but the Creighton's been a real up and down. Uh, and so I'd like to see how that plays out. How about you guys? Yeah. Ever since Cockburner came back, Creighton's been a force to be reckoned with. I mean, they dominated Xavier, uh, what was it, a week or two ago. Um, yeah, they, they played really well against Xavier. So I, I think they're a force to be reckoned with, but I think Arizona is up to the challenge. 
Uh, yeah, I'm not so sure about the Utah State-Missouri game. I think Missouri probably still wins that game, but uh, I think Utah State could be a, an issue for Arizona. Um, but I'm overly confident that nobody's really seen Arizona's, you know, the t- type of offense Arizona runs. Uh, nobody's really seen anything like that. And so I think people are going to be kind of shell-shocked when they see Arizona put up all these points. And I, I expect them not to put up maybe 90, 95, but I expect Arizona to put up some points, maybe 75, 80 in these games. Because when you get to tournament time, you know, if you are scoring those points, fantastic. That's awesome. But typically uh, the point totals go down because you're it's a defensive game, right? And there's also a little bit of uh, nerves and stuff. Nerves, yeah. A little bit. Uh, people play a little messed up at the beginning and don't score as much. I think uh, one of the things that have been a concern about Arizona teams in the past, of course, is they get blitzkrieg by teams that suddenly come on and just shoot like lights out. However, Arizona has withstood that type of assault and withstood uh, this team has withstood the three-point barrage, too. And as we've talked about, as long as Arizona doesn't end up shooting 35 threes and making less than uh, like 25% or something like that, odds are we can survive that and move on. Um, I just hope that doesn't happen. But another team that's interesting is Baylor. Is Baylor is like a team that could be scary, but they seem to really struggle on defense. And uh-huh. so depending on the team that hits them, they could potentially get knocked out early or they could go, they could be quite a problem for us later on. Yeah. It's, it's, if they don't play defense, I can see Arizona just steamrolling them because that's, that's what that's, could happen. Yeah, that's what Arizona thrives on, especially with these fast breaks. I mean, as soon as Arizona gets the ball and they push it, if Baylor's not back, uh, it's going to be layups and dunks for Arizona all game long. And is effectively, that, that's what we saw when they were playing Kansas in that second half. It was just dunks. I mean, it was just no defense, nothing. When they when they just got when Kansas got focused. That's all it was. And I think that there's a good chance Arizona, particularly if the two bigs are both uh, really focused, if this could, it could be a cr- crazy game. But that, of course, assumes that, that that matchup actually happens. Right, right. A matchup that I would be interested in if it actually happens would be Alabama-Virginia because Alabama's got the athletes, obviously Brandon Miller, um, and they score quite a few points. But then Virginia is the type of team that likes to slow it down. Tony Bennett likes to slow the game down quite a bit. So it'd be interesting to see kind of that, you know, unstoppable force against the immovable object and see what happens in that game if it comes to fruition. Well, I have a question for both of you. Who do you see being the biggest challenge for Arizona to get to the Final Four in that bracket? Honestly, I think it's Alabama. Uh I I really can't see Arizona struggling too much with Princeton, Utah State, or Missouri. Um, I don't really see them struggling with Baylor. I think Arizona could beat Creighton again um, very easily. And so, to me, it's kind of smooth sailing to the Elite Eight and then uh, Alabama – in the uh, for the elite eight into the final four yeah if you've got the number one pick in the nba draft and miller if he really is and every time i've watched him he looks like it then he does take over a game at any moment the the thing is what happens if you get if you is uh alabama susceptible if someone locks him down someone's able to lock him down defensively well that's what i'm looking at right now is is if I wonder if there's a team that can take Alabama out before they even get to the Elite Eight, and I'm not so sure. I think Virginia might be the only one in that top. Virginia half is the, the only one. The only they are the only defensive team in there that uh, has it. I don't think the rest of them have what it takes. Yeah, I'm not really high on Maryland or West Virginia. I think either of those teams are going to get blown out by Alabama. Oh, for uh, sure. And then obviously San Diego State, College of Charleston, and Furman um, are the other three in the bottom half of Virginia, and I just think Virginia is going to. 
take and take out whoever they are areas in their path. Yeah. Seems it's very different from talking about the West when we name all these teams and you're just going, what are they doing here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I don't think Arizona's region is the easiest. Uh, I think Arizona's region still has some pretty good teams in it. Um, I think the easiest region is probably the East. Well, yeah, I, I would say it's hard to say that Arizona has the easiest region when the number one overall uh, team, the number one overall seed is in your region, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, if we switch sides, switch gears to the East, um, Purdue's the number one, and then you've got uh, Memphis, FAU, uh, Duke, Oral Roberts, Tennessee, Louisiana, Kentucky, Providence, Kansas State, Montana State, Michigan State versus USC. Really interested in that game. Uh, and then Marquette and Vermont. And so for me, uh, and I know Johnny here will attest to this too, I think the Memphis-FEU game is going to be nice, but then Memphis-Purdue is going to be a fun game to watch if Memphis can move on from that first match. Oh, that would be a great game to watch. I would love to see that. I'm, I was so pleased to see Memphis uh, beat Houston in that title game. Um, I, there's there's some interesting teams here in this particular group just because uh, there's a, they, they've shown a lot of this, what we've seen this year in college basketball in general, which is that whole, which team is going to show up? <laughs> um, because you have quite a few teams in here. I think Tennessee is pretty much going to struggle in the tournament because uh, Zach Ziegler was their guy. He was the, he really, having him out makes a big difference for them and it, it, they need him for a tourney run. Yep. Um, Kentucky, uh, it, just when we thought Kentucky had had it back on track, two of the teams, the, the big name teams that were uh, looking like they might be trying to play themselves out of the tournament, are both in this one with Duke and Kentucky. Uh, Duke has been gone the right direction. Kentucky, <laughs> just when we thought that they were they were back in uh, back in control, seems to be still vulnerable. Mm-hmm. What are your guys' thoughts on Marquette? Are they the real deal, or do you think they're upset prone, maybe even in the second game between a USC or Michigan state. Hadn't watched them once yet this year. So they they look, they look pretty good. And shock has been really doing a great job getting into the play. I think they are. uh, I I think they might be ranked a bit. uh, Their seating might be a bit higher than they, they deserve. So I think that there's a, they are a good candidate for an upset in this part of the tournament. I have watched them play. And I, I actually watched them blind a few times and didn't realize that they were highly as ranked as they were. And I said, oh, <laughs> they didn't look like a team. That, but they're co- they have a good coach. Uh, they, I think that the, they have a good shot at making a run. But they, they could, they could, there's each of the teams that, uh, that could potentially be their opponent will be a challenge for them. Well, and going against Tom Izzo in the second game, if Michigan State were to beat USC, uh, that's pretty daunting because it seems like no matter what team Izzo has, whether they're good or bad, barely make it in, or or they're an at-large easily, it seems like Izzo seems to get them to the Elite Eight or Final Four regardless. So let, let's uh, let's give this a little bit of Pac-12 bias here. What do you think USC has to do to get move forward? Uh, I think we got to have... I think USC needs to have more than one score. It can't be Boogie Ellis by himself. Um, UCLA or USC is very lanky. They've got, you know, the bigs to, to handle a team like Michigan state. Uh, They got to do kind of what Arizona does and use your bigs and then kick it out if necessary. Um, But you're going to need Drew Peterson. You're going to need Boogie Ellis. You're going to need, you know, Prince. I 
think Drew, I think Drew is the X factor. I think he's the guy. If he, I know he's had back issues and stuff, but I think if Drew suddenly shows up and he start, he gets like uh, something like 15 points in, in in the game or something. He's the X factor that can take him to the to win. But that counts on Boogie also doing his part. Right. To me, this this year feels like one of those years where that everyone is down on the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 will thrive in the tournament. I don't know why. It just feels like one of those years. We'll get our first taste tomorrow. I hope that that's how it turns out. <laughs> I, I think ASU is a scary team for anybody. I, I don't know how Nevada is going to handle ASU. I think they're a scary team and, you know, they're going to be happy to be here. Um, you know, they had to sweat out a little bit uh, on Selection Sunday. So it's they're thrilled to be here. And, and I think they're going to give Nevada a really good game. It's not going to be a, a blowout, in, in my opinion. I, th- I think a lot of the teams haven't faced the frenetic defense that ASU will throw up there. And the defense is not just that it's crazy and uh, forces turnovers, but it's actually uh, has the statistics to back it up that it's a pretty intense defense. So we'll see how Nevada deals with that and what the turnover situation is in that game. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Johnny? Uh, you're from Memphis. How do you like Memphis in that region? Uh, Memphis-Purdue will be an interesting game. Um, I think that's the one team – in the region that I'd worry about if I were Purdue. Uh, not because they can't match up with them, but Memphis's guard play is stronger than Purdue's. And so if Purdue can stick to the game plan and Zach Eady can get his, they should be okay. Um, and I think uh, DeAndre, with all the college experience he has, still is going to struggle with Zach Eady's length. But, um, yeah, it can be a good one. It's hard for I, – I feel kind of bad for Purdue because that's a tough second game, right? That is a tough second game. I, 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 that's one of my – the one of the more interesting games I want to see in the second round is that if that matchup occurs, definitely want to see that. Well, and there's that stigma that, you know, the Big Ten always gets 15 teams in and they never make it past the first weekend. And now you're Purdue and you're going, hey, we're the number one seed in the East and we're, we're hoping to go far. And then your second game could be against Memphis and that's just rough. I mean, you look at who Purdue lost to in the last few months. They lost to Indiana, lost at Rutgers, Rutgers. early on. Yep. Um, and it's really just about the guard play there. Yeah, one of the teams that I think is going to uh, probably, I, I, as much as it pains me to say it, I think Duke's going to be a real tough one to knock out. And you know that that's not something I would say because I, I'm a big Duke fan or anything. It's just I've been watching them play. I've watched them play now and. A bunch of games, and this is not the team that started the season the way they did. Uh, John Shire's got them somehow focused and so forth, and it and I get it. They played in a weaker ACC, so no ACC team made it as a top three seed, but I, that's a tough five seed to get. <laughs> well, what are they like? Seventeen and one when they're healthy. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're I would not want them as a five seed uh, in my uh, bracket. That's a tough one. That's a tough thing about the East too. Is that two teams that started surging, who play, who have the personnel and have the ability to be a top team, but somehow couldn't put it together in the in much of their season was Kentucky and Duke, two of the blue bloods that are in that uh, particular one. And so uh, Duke seems to have it together. They're on a roll right now, and they're they're streaking. So they're going in, they're in the right direction. So you, you just kind of a tough way to get in front of that buzzsaw right now. Yeah, they're doing exactly what you want to do in March, especially towards the you know tournament time. Is you want to be hot. You want to go into March Madness with a little bit of momentum, um, and they're they're doing exactly that. And 
you know, I think Oral Roberts isn't necessarily going to be the easiest game for them, but I think if they continue to play the way they have been, uh, they could cruise through this bracket. Um, again, if Memphis were to beat Purdue, I think a Duke Memphis game would be amazing. Uh, Think about this. Think about this. Uh, this is an. It, it, this is still. Um, it, given what I said about Tennessee, it's still an amazing thing to think about that you could get a Duke Tennessee matchup in the second round, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. That's, that's a big time matchup for sure. Yeah. Just so everybody knows, when we're uh, recording this, what the situation is. March Madness is going on at this very moment, and. Uh, 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 a Duke alum is coaching one of the teams that's winning at this point against Mississippi State, Pitt 58, uh, Mississippi State 52 at this very moment with uh, 203 left. So it looks like Pitt has got a good shot at moving forward here. Poor Roger. <laughs> Roger's, <laughs> Roger's our other uncle who uh, lives in Starkville, Mississippi. So he's a huge Mississippi State fan. So uh, we're, we're rooting for Mississippi 54. State. Yeah, fifty-eight, fifty-four. So who's going to pull this one off? We'll advise as we go here. <laughs> Absolutely. And then the last region we want to touch on is Midwest, the region that we thought Arizona might be headed to. Uh, kind of glad they're not there as well because Houston is the number one there. Uh, I'd like to see Houston maybe in the championship game. Obviously, that's when Arizona would have to face them uh, instead of being in the same bracket with them. The number two in that region is Texas. Uh, Texas is going to play Colgate and then just going up from there, uh, Texas A&M versus Penn State. Xavier versus Kennesaw State. Uh, and then Iowa State will play the winner of the play-in. Indiana versus Kent State. Miami versus Drake. Iowa versus Auburn. And then Houston versus Northern Kentucky. So um, any matchups stand out for you guys in this region? I think uh, I think Houston's doesn't got necessarily an easy route to go. So if, if they have to either take Iowa or Auburn, that's a tough second game to take on, right? That's a toss-up to me, too. That I don't know how to pick that one. because I don't either. That go either way. Both of those teams have the same type of feel to me, and I've watched both of them play um, in terms of – and so it doesn't surprise me that you have an 8-9 seed there. But that's also – either one of those teams could be a tough draw for Houston right away. And then uh, – because we're just assuming, of course, you get past Northern Kentucky. But then, I mean, to look at it, the let's just play it by seeds here and say Indiana or Miami manages to make it through. Either one of those two could, again, be a tough one for Houston. So Houston doesn't have necessarily – a clear path to it, uh, but uh, they certainly they're certainly showing uh, that they can uh, they could certainly uh, go all the way to the final four. Are you guys buying or selling Indiana? Indiana's not going to make it to the end. To me, is that they're too much of they they see win lose win lose. It, it's they just don't have the right formula to make it through the tourney. Yeah, I think Trace Jackson Davis is amazing. Uh, he's he's a heck of a player, but I just don't see them. I mean, even against maybe Miami, if if that's how it works out in the second round, I think Miami would give Indiana a tough time. And I just don't I don't buy them. I don't know why. I, ever since we played them in December, go ahead, Johnny. I'm gonna go the opposite direction and say that I see Indiana at least in the Sweet 16. And then depending on how Sasser comes back from that groin injury with Houston, um, we'll see there. But for the top half, uh, I don't see. Anybody that if I'm Indiana that I'd be afraid of. Yeah, Indiana. Indiana suffers from what uh, I called it. Well, what Arizona did, which was the thing. What white folks seem to think that Arizona is vulnerable. Of course, is that uh, we're the, pro, upset prone. To, so uh, Indiana was a, a lot of that. So I'm hoping that Indi- I, I like I like the teams that Arizona has played against, and I, I like Indiana as a team, and I hope that they do well. 
Ed, Mississippi State is up 59 to 58 with nine seconds. Just like that. Just like oh. that. And there goes the score again. Now Pitt's up with one, or they're up 60 to 59. So we'll keep tabs on that one. That's a really, really good game. Both of them, both both of the games today, folks, were amazingly close games decided in the last minute. Yeah, if this is uh, evidence of what the tournament's going to be like, it's going to be a fun tournament. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that Arizona State-Nevada game tomorrow. Absolutely. Um, as we move to the lower half of the Midwest, uh, what do you think about our guy, Sean Miller and Xavier at the three spot? Fremantle's healthy. I'm putting Xavier in the final four, but unfortunately he's out for the season. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's going to that's gonna make them have a different that, – that the team's going to have a different feel for that with that. So Sean Miller still doesn't make a final four, not this year at least. <laughs> Potentially, I mean, I, I, we have to play the games. But so, how do you guys feel if he does? I mean, how weird would that be? Because that was the uh, that was kind of the monkey on his back a lot of the time at Arizona is that he hadn't made a Final Four. How weird would that be if right that right there he makes it into the Final Four with Xavier? Wouldn't that be weird? To me, that's the ultimate vindication, right? Because yeah. he had to deal with so much for so long at Arizona. Um, and then obviously the IARP came out and said, no, he's, he's good. And then he gets his coaching job at Xavier back where he was before Arizona. Uh, he never made a final four with Arizona and to make one with Xavier, you know, in his first year back would be amazing. I'm already impressed with what he's done with Xavier, with that team uh, there. And, you know, to, to get, to bring them to that level of prominence. I mean, it's not that Xavier was not a team, prominent team to start with, but that this level of prominence and as number three seed, uh, that's that's pretty that's pretty amazing. Well, and one of my favorite games this year was Xavier against St. John's, and the reason why it was one of my favorites is because both coaches were mic'd up. And so, from an Arizona fan perspective, it was really cool to see Sean Miller coach uh, or hear him coach because you know we heard him during the press conferences and all that, but to actually hear him on the court and talking to his guys and, and the game plan and whatnot, uh, it's a different side of Sean Miller that you know we didn't really get to see uh, in depth like we could in that Xavier St. John's game earlier. Well, all of this is going to all of this is going to go past theory here uh, very quickly as Thursday and Friday comes comes to, comes to play. Uh, uh, let's go, getting back to the core of what this show is about, guys. What do you think? What's what's good? What are the good ch- challenges Arizona's going to face in getting it to the Final Four? And what do you think? Does Arizona make it to the Final Four? Where do we where do we get realistically? Uh, I think if Arizona, if Tubelis shows up, and he has, you know, he had that dry spell of three, four games where he was struggling, but it feels very much so like he's back. Uh, and if he continues his play, because Arizona goes where Tubelis will, will take us. Uh, we do have other great pieces, but we need him to play well. Uh, we need Bala to, to play well. And then it's all about guard play. If our guards can shoot well, if they can rebound, uh, that's been a big thing we've stressed throughout this whole podcast is, you know, you, you can't start the fast break without the ball. So we need everybody rebounding and then go and run. Tubelis is one of the fastest big men in the country. He'll, he'll outrun anybody. Um, and we already know that. So if we can get Tubelis going, if we can get Bala going, and if we can run our offense – Go inside, and if we don't have anything there, kick it out, and then we get our guards a good-looking three. Uh, I think Arizona will be just fine, and I think they have that real shot this year to get to the Elite Eight or Final Four, uh, maybe further. Johnny, what do you think? Yeah, I think the first weekend should be no problem. As long as they can get stops and play with energy and score in transition, then they don't have to worry about if uh, guards are shooting the ball well. Or um, I think Ballo's 
more aggressive now than whatever was going on with getting sick over the holidays and kind of coming out of that. Uh, but if you look at the games we've lost, it's Balo or Tabellas disappear, one of the two. And so we rely on the outside shot. And when they don't fall, we're toast. So I think the first weekend should hopefully be two double-digit wins. Uh, and then the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, as we've seen, anything can happen. Um, but hopefully that Alabama-Arizona matchup is what we're watching in a few weeks. How about you, Ed? I'm thinking that uh, one of the things that I like, the trends I like in Arizona that has happened recently is the number of players who are able to make perimeter shots. So, for example, when Kerr injured his shoulder and he stopped shooting and stuff, we still one of them, one of them is Kyle Boswell, that he's been stepping up. But, but uh, we, it's just given we're very streaky from the perimeter. And so having an increased number of players between Cedric and, uh, and having Courtney and uh, Kerr and Kylan all being able to shoot from the perimeter. So if two of them go down and can't seem to make it, hopefully somebody's making them and that takes the three out of being the thing that knocks us out of the tournament, I'm hoping. Uh, I think that that's my concern and uh, I'm forever going to be paranoid about having another Buffalo attack. <laughs> You know, somebody just starts drilling threes on us, some no-name school that starts dropping threes on us like crazy. And we uh, just panic and, and don't respond. I'm hoping uh, that our defense, which defensive team is going to show up? Uh-huh. Yeah. If the one that shows up against UCLA does, then we're in good shape. Because that's it. Arizona that's it. Very intense. And I thought they, you know, again, Pella Larson was amazing. Uh, I, like, I like Pella being the guy that guards the other team's best guy. Uh, I feel like he is living up to that role. He's able to do it, and uh, I just like that matchup for him. I think he's got that in him, and it's it's fun. It's fun to see him thrive in that role. I I, I think it's I think it's a really good chance that uh, Arizona. If you can't get motivated for the tournament in March Madness, what's what what else is going to motivate you? Uh, I I think it'll be amazing if uh, Arizona plays the level of defense to make it hard for folks to score and then just tries to run its offense the way it wants to. And we know folks are going to do things to try to stop that. But the defense is what gives you the second chance. It's what gives you the chance to make it when uh, when the offense is being held in check. So I'm really looking forward to we'll, You'll be able to tell right away when you're watching the game to see whether or not Arizona's playing tight defense on the other team. Yep. And just to go back a little bit, um, you were talking about the guard play. I, I am really impressed with Kylan Boswell. I'm excited to watch him because, like we've said, and it's getting beat like a drum, but he is 17. How is he going to react to a tournament environment? We saw how he was in Vegas, and he played really well. Uh, he stepped up and made some big shots for Arizona right when they needed him. Uh, and then also Courtney Ramey – I'm sorry, not Courtney Ramey, uh, Cedric Henderson. Maybe with exception of that last game against UCLA, you could have fought for him to be the MVP of the tournament. Uh, he was playing lights out in Vegas. So I'm curious to see how Sed does uh, in the NCAA tournament. I, I think it's fundamental that we stick to our game plan and utilize our bigs. We sometimes get a little enamored with the uh, the three-point shot and forget that the ball should be – good and fine to shoot an open three, but the ball should work its way inside first if you can. And uh, that we shouldn't expect from Princeton to see the type of defense we did against UCLA that was getting in all the passing lanes and making that difficult. So being able to accurately pass, try to control turnovers, should be a pretty cl pretty clean chance. As it's working right now, Arizona's picked to be a 14-point winner with a 91.2% chance from ESPN's analytics that we win the game. But, of course, that could mean absolutely nothing. Right. <laughs> this is Martin Madness. 
Yeah, who, who here isn't familiar with the whole uh, curse we've had with the two, 15 2 seed? Yep. Right, right. Yeah, at least we're not a number one and potentially losing to a 16 like Virginia did a couple years ago, right? <laughs> yeah, but they, they, at least they made up for it, not went and won a championship right afterwards. So that, That's the ultimate redemption arc is losing to a 16 <laughs> seed and then winning the title the next year. Yeah, <laughs> so. well, quite the situation for them to be able to do it. But uh, uh, this is all the ingredients are there for Arizona to go the distance. And we just we need six good games and. That's the challenge, is, as we've seen, is that does being able to keep that energy for six games is is not easy. But our the fundamental belief that we seem to all have about what we've seen in Arizona is that Arizona plays up to the competition. And so this is the NCAA tournament. Every team fought their way to get in here. It should all be good competition. So we've got to play uh, inspired for six games if we want to win the title. Well, and, and like Tommy said, because he was vouching for a, a break, for the Pac-12 tournament because it's hard to play three games in three days. At least, you know, there's a game and then a day off and then a game, and then you wait till the next weekend if you make it. Um, so Arizona's going to get plenty of rest. Uh, they are traveling. Obviously, they go to Sacramento first and then Louisville uh, and then Houston. Um, but uh, I think – I like the thinking. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> we'll, we'll play Houston in Houston. That's fine. We owe them. This is the ultimate revenge tour, right? Well, the Pac-12, uh, just so everybody, uh, in case you weren't keeping count, uh, the uh, revenge tour at, in the Pac-12 was completed. All three games in the Pac-12, to remind you, were against teams Arizona had previously lost against. So that was Stanford, Arizona State, and UCLA. Each of those teams Arizona played, they lost the last time they played them. So the revenge tour was completed in the Pac-12 with the Pac-12 championship game. And then the, uh, the American Conference had the same narrative with Memphis going through Central Florida and then giving Tulane back and uh, getting swept by Tulane in the season. And then same with Houston, dropping two to them. So they had the same uh, narrative and they were just as equally excited. So it's, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling to get payback like that. So uh, I, I was so pleased to see Memphis. Uh, I, I mean, I was cheering the fact that what, what Memphis did to Houston and so, so forth. So that was that was exciting. Yep. All right. So any final thoughts before we close this podcast out? Yeah. My first weekend prediction is that no 512 upsets. No 512 upsets or five. Yeah. 512. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So that would be uh, Miami and Drake in the Midwest uh, and then San Diego state and college of Charleston. A lot of people are on college of Charleston. So I'm interested to see why why that is. I haven't watched much of College of Charleston, but uh, but then you got St. Mary's VCU, and then you got Duke and Oral Roberts. So yeah, there's a good chance that none of those 12 seeds end up winning against the five. I think uh, typically we see a couple of those, but Johnny might be right there. This might uh, be Johnny. Right. What's your take? Anybody in the top four go down in the in the first weekend? Top four seeds of each uh, each uh, one. So that's a big that's a big group. Yeah, based off of historical tournaments, there's going to be somebody. Yeah, I'm curious who you think that might be. I'm going to go with Baylor. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, it's, that's you, you're thinking down my path. I think Baylor's a lot more susceptible than it looked. And there was a time when I thought Baylor was one of the more dangerous teams in the nation. But, man, their defense has shown susceptibility beyond belief. Call it my own bias, but uh, I've got in all my brackets Tennessee losing to Louisiana. Okay, that was the second team I was going to pick is Tennessee. for the Not because Tennessee's not a good team. It's Tennessee's not the same team. Without their guard. 
that's a crazy thing. Yeah. And they're playing Basically, their younger guys now too. They've kind of moved on from their seniors and experience and they're playing their younger guys, which in the tournament might not pan out. Man, and one of the, one game that I think could be very interesting is Kentucky and Providence in the first round. I wouldn't pick I don't think that could be as easy as it might seem. Yeah, right. That's a tough matchup for Kentucky, especially because they've been hot and cold all year and they kind of scraped to get into the tournament. So yeah, that's a tough matchup for them. Coach Cal sh- has shown us he can do it all in the tournament. He can lose on day one, and he can go the distance. <laughs> that's it. That's it. And we'll, we'll see what he what what comes up. But this is tournament ball. This is March Madness. Everything we've seen in the past uh, could be different now. Um, who, who knows what's going to happen? I'm excited. I mean, Arizona. It, the 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 thing that uh, I saw on a, a Arizona State fan site was all you need to do is get in, and then you have a chance to win the whole thing. Well, okay. we're in. You go in at least two, three rounds. Yep, we're in. So I'm excited to see how. I'm. I'm hoping that uh, we get to keep. Go- we get to be excited all the way through to the final weekend. So uh, let's bear down. How about Georgia Tech hiring Damon Stoudemire? That was that was interesting. I, I was looking at the picture up close of Damon Stoudemire, going, "Yeah, he still looks like Damon." <laughs> Got a little more gray and yeah, a little he, bit of a little bit of a belly there, but <laughs> no, we're we're happy for him. That's that's an awesome job for him. He was obviously with the Boston Celtics as an assistant, but uh, yep. that's going to be a great job for him. And he's a great coach. You know, he did great at Pacific, and uh, I expect nothing less uh, from him at Georgia Tech. Yeah, and Damon Damon was a good a good guy. He's uh, he he helped put his stamp on the Arizona program while he was here. Well, and we got uh, Joe Pasternak in the tournament with UCSB, so they may give Baylor a good shot in that first game too. So a lot of these uh, Arizona coaches and players, and it's it's fun to see the Arizona ties to some of these teams and, you know, Sean Miller with Xavier and, and all that. So it's fun. I, I enjoy it, and I think uh, Arizona should be ready to go. I think, you know, you got to start with Princeton at 110 Arizona time on Thursday, and uh We'll see what happens, but I'm confident Arizona can do some damage. And again, if we can get to that Alabama game in the Elite Eight, that would be such a fun game to watch. It would be. Just as a as a note, since we are covering it, Mississippi State lost, had a chance to win the thing, took an open three, and then had a, a chance for a put open put back and missed both. So Mississippi State drops uh, drops out of the tournament. <sighs> Poor guys. That's such a close game, too. Like you said, both these games have been close, and I expect both the games tomorrow to be close. So, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. That's the way the ball bounces sometimes. And, you know, congrats to Pitt. Congrats to Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So, all right. Well, we'll be back for more coverage uh, throughout the tournament. We've got a bunch of games coming up here, so it's going to be a fun-filled weekend. Uh, Make sure everyone does their brackets, but most importantly, bear down and go Cats. Bear down. Tommy Lloyd, grab your passport. (laughs) Let it rip.